Welcome to Aircrew Interview, I'm Mike Ding, your host, and in this episode we chat with former Starfighter and Tornado IDS pilot Frank Heimbetter. In the first half we talk about his time flying the Mighty 104, his training at Luke Air Force Base, what the aircraft was like to fly, and also a memorable story including a bird. Thank you and enjoy. So Frank, when did you first become interested in aviation? When I was a kid, you know, I didn't want to be a firefighter or policeman. I was interested in an aircraft. I don't know how this uh, was happening, but it was just just like so, you know. Like all of us, yeah, we just uh, probably the first plane that, that I was interested in the same. But uh, yeah, so what year did you join the Air, Air Force? Uh, I went uh, to the Air Force back in uh, 80, let me see, 69, uh, 1969, I joined the Air Force. Did you originally want to join as a pilot? Because I know there's a bit of a backstory here with you going on as a nav. Could you share that with us? <laughs> yeah, I originally wanted to become a pilot. And um, everything was working fine. The uh, basic training went okay. And uh, I got first selected uh, for the pilot job. And after the uh, basic training and education, uh, we had to go to the uh, medical uh, center in Fürstenfeldbruck. And there they told me I was not uh, uh, suitable for uh, a pilot's job because my my right eye would be short-sighted once in the future. More they couldn't tell me, but that was enough to wash me out. And uh, then I uh, joined another branch of the, uh, of the Luftwaffe, the air defense branch, and uh, I was uh, working in a radar site then, after my training, uh, that was the first time that I went to uh, uh, the United States. I was in Tyndall Air Force Base and Kiesler Air Force Base. And uh, there we uh, got our basic training for the uh, uh, interceptor controller job and uh, a track production uh, officer job. That was the basic training over there. And then uh, this was intensified uh, back here in Germany uh, on the job training. And I worked two years there in a uh, air defense bunker. And then around 71, I think it was uh, the fighter squadrons, the German fighter squadrons were converting to the F-4. Uh, from the 104, and uh, they were desperately looking for backseaters. And um, that was my chance, I thought. So I I applied for backseater in the 104, uh, in the F4, and I went to the medical center to, uh, to uh, in, in Fürstenfeldbruck, and I was chatting with the eye doctor this was a lady at that time and we had a nice conversation and in the course of the conversation this lady asked me all of a sudden why don't we, why don't you want to fly in the front seat and you can imagine i was quite surprised they changed their uh, requirements and so i applied uh, again uh, for the front cockpit and within 
I think three three months or so, wow. within this uh, um, uh, checkout, I was in the states. It was that that quick. Wow, that is quick. Uh, yeah, and uh, incidentally, before because they didn't accept me in the first uh, run, I made my own PPLA in Kassel, where I was stationed with the air defense uh, stuff. So I had my PPLA when I um, uh, was how to how you say when I was uh, re. Uh, chosen for a flying job. I had my PPA uh, at that time, PPL at that time already. So that was a little advantage. Uh, the screening was a little faster for me. And uh, yeah, like I said, in no time flat, I was in the States. Wow. And obviously, uh, did you know what aircraft you were going to go onto as a, you know, a front seat at this time? Did you know you were going to go onto the F4? No. F-104, sorry. No. Uh, in, in the German Air Force, this is a process uh, that is uh, going to take place at the end of the training in uh, Tyndall Air Force. Tyndall? No, in um, Shepard Air Force Base. You know, you fly the T-37 there, and then you fly the uh, T-38. And after this you get selected to fly either one of our uh, frontline airplanes. Uh, at that time, we had F-4s, uh, 104s, and Fiat G-91. The first couple of guys, as far as their uh, training results were concerned, could select their airplane. And uh, so that's how we, uh, how I received the 104. Uh, I think we were 10 guys in, in our uh, Shepard class, 10 Germans and 10 Americans. And the Americans got uh, spread all over the world with uh, different airplanes. And we only had uh, at that time the choice between the 104 and the G91. And, um, well, I choose the 104. And uh, I think four of us went to the, or, no, six six of us went to the 104 and four went to the uh, G91. So what were your first thoughts of the 104 when you got selected or um, got picked to fly that aircraft? Well, I was uh, kind of expecting it during the course of the, uh, the training. Uh, and so it was not a real surprise to me, and I was looking forward to uh, to flying the 104. It's a perfect airplane as far as the styling goes, you know. I I think there's never been another airplane that, for me, is that sexy as the 104. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the role of the F-104 at the time with the German Air Force and when you got selected to fly it? In this time, we had the Warsaw Pact on, on, on the east on one side and the NATO uh, allies on the other side. So that was uh, the times, uh, they called it the Cold War. There was uh, the, the, the uh, military strategy was called the flexible response at that time. And flexible response meant... If you do something to me, I do something to you. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, we the, the 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 NATO was not in a position to attack the Warsaw Pact. 
as a contrary, we were expecting, or the NATO was expecting, an attack, maybe an attack of the Warsaw Pact. So if they did something to us, we had to do something to them. And uh, the 104 wings were part of this uh, strategy. We had at that time three wings in the nuclear, nuclear role. So that means we had a QRA uh, in either one of these three wings with four airplanes uh, loaded with nuclear, tactical nuclear weapons. And uh, these wings were in um, Memmingen, in Büchel, and in Nürvenich. And uh, I was stationed in Büchel, and we were a fighter-bomber wing like the other two wings too. And uh, that was our job. That's what we did, uh, what we trained. That was our daily business, you know, low-level flying, uh, 500 feet. At that time, nobody cared you know, uh, we had lots of airplanes, we had lots of fuel, and each wing commander was kind of uh, uh, proud if his wing had the most flying hours uh, in a year. So <laughs> <laughs> that was that was kind of a competition between the wing commanders. You know, they could they could pra- practically do whatever they wanted. Yeah. You know, they had. Uh, they were the kings, so to speak. Kings. So, and yeah. they had all the resources uh, mm-hmm. and pilots also. And in my time, uh, when I joined the uh, 104 wing in Bücher, that was in 75. Mm-hmm. We still had uh, 104 accidents, but at a lesser rate, a lower rate than previously. You know, the end of the 60s, uh, there was middle 60s, end of the 60s, uh, there were a lot of, a lot of uh, 104 accidents. And in my time, uh, the accident rate was uh, a lot less, but still existing. So let's just get a bit into what the F-104 was like to fly. So how did she handle and what did she do well and not so well? Uh, it flew well in the whole spectrum, so to speak, but it was not willing to turn, (laughs) to turn quickly because of the small wings, you know, Um, high wing load. uh, We had to, we we had uh, to uh, drop the uh, takeoff flaps if we wanted to make a sharp turn. The takeoff flaps limit, uh, speed limit was 450 knots. Mm -hmm. So, uh, if you wanted to turn, 450 knots was our normal um, uh, ground speed, or n- not ground speed, our normal low level speed. So if somebody uh, came at you, you know, wanted to fight with you down there, you had to do something. Either one, you had to accelerate and get out of the way, or you had to drop the flaps, take off flaps, and started uh, cranking the airplane around. But uh, if it was another airplane, like uh, um, uh, an F4 or yeah, even a G91 would outturn uh, the 104, you know. Mm-hmm. The only chance the only chance you had was to get away. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was an airplane that was going fast and low and straight and was very stable in, in the uh, uh, low-level 
regime, but uh, it was not uh, for uh, air-to-air dogfight. That was not not uh, its role. I mean, they uh, originally uh, wanted it, it as an interceptor in the United States, you know, to go up there fast and and high, and that could be done. But dogfighting up there, no, it doesn't work. Yeah. And um, uh, after all low-level portions, we often went up in the uh, TRAs, in the uh, temporary restricted areas, uh, to do some uh, confidence maneuvers. Like, uh, you know, you had to get acquainted, uh, always to get acquainted with the airplanes, and you had to fly it to its limit and uh, to do uh, formation exercises and all this stuff we did in the TRA. And uh, also loopings. And if you flew a normal loop in the 104, you needed 10,000 feet uh, for the loop. And if you use afterburner, it was 8,000 feet. So it's, it's 2,000 <laughs> feet less. But you could do this only uh, with takeoff flaps. Otherwise, you would fall out of the sky. You would uh, hang up there and it was, would have been the end, you know. Yeah. Uh, takeoff flaps only. So did you work closely with uh, other European nations? Well, uh, yes, uh, there were exercises and uh, things like that. Our wing visited another wing. I don't know you, you, how, how you call this. Exchange? Exchange, yeah, squadron exchange. I was, I was looking for this word. <laughs> uh, so we had squadron exchanges, yes. But uh, I was uh, not involved in these. I was going there for a short period of time or a short visit and then going back. But uh, the permanent uh, guys, the guys who were there permanent, I did not belong to. I had uh, tasks in our wing. I was uh, uh, the chief, how do you say, head of simulator later. Uh, also in the 104 times, but the 104 simulator was a joke. You know, mm -hmm. that was uh, <clears throat> it was called a simulator, but it was it was ridiculous. You know, you what was not not even close, not even close to what the real thing was. Okay. And so, yeah. what was um, what was it like having you know, obviously like J79 and put it into full afterburner for the first time? That must have been an amazing experience. Yeah, it. Uh, but you get used to it. Mm. It is <laughs> the first time when we when we converted to the 104 in in Luke Air Force Base. Yes, uh, this was this was quite something. An afterburner uh, was much more efficient and much more powerful than the afterburners of the uh, T38, and uh, flying on one engine now was also a little bit uh, you ha had to get used to it you know men mentally and i remember when i i did the first solo night flight oh uh, it was very strange very i i heard noises i never noticed before <laughs> it was uh that was something, but you you're getting used to it, so that's it's no problem. It's just a just a matter of seconds. 
Absolutely. So what was the cockpit environment for you as a pilot? Like it, it seemed, I've sat in a 104 and it seems quite cramped. Yes, it was cramped. Uh, it was uh, narrow and you had to be organized. Uh, you had to put your stuff to certain places where you expected, when you expected them to, uh, to pick them up once. And uh, this was not a nice cockpit, so to speak, you know. Uh, I remember the uh, in the beginning when I when I first, let's say, two years, three years or so, they had the uh, the radio uh, frequency selector back here, Ooh. back here. You could not. You you had to twist to see the uh, digital uh, digital. Uh, digital numbers that you dialed in and uh, the regular sequence of action was you went with your hand back there got the uh, 100 or 10 or 1 um, kilohertz knobs and turned them you counted them if you knew you had on your on your kneeboard always the frequency you were on. Right. So uh, you knew you were, for instance, on 3500. Then you went back there, uh, went for the 10 kilohertz uh, uh, knob and started counting. You, you knew you were on 350 and your new frequency should be 370. Then you counted 1, 2. Right. Uh, then you were on seven, you know, from five, six, seven. And then you had to quickly look back there and check if the frequency you, you selected was really the frequency you were supposed to be on. And that was, that was, uh, very, very, for a pilot. <laughs> yeah. And now, now imagine you are in the, in the clouds and you are on the wing of another airplane and mm -hmm. you have to change frequencies. That was very sporty. And after uh, an accident, I think it was in Nervenich when, when two 104s collided during uh, an approach. And I don't recall what, what the cause war was. But uh, then I, I think it was probably uh, uh, connected to this uh, frequency changing type thing. Uh, then they came up with a solution. The Selector was still back there, but we had an LED um, a string up here where we could see what we selected. Wow. So that was a big, big, big advantage uh, compared to what it was before. Mm -hmm. And other than that, uh, the cockpit was not very, very nice. You know, you had to do something there, then you had to do something there. The flight instruments were okay. But uh, all the other stuff uh, that you had, the weapons and the weapon selectors and, and counters and whatever, uh, was displaced all over the cockpit. And you probably have so many memorable stories in the 104, but can you share maybe one that will stick out in your mind and you know our viewers will enjoy? Well, um, I, I was lucky in, in so far as, as that uh, I did not have very many outstanding uh, uh, experiences there and uh, uh, maybe one uh, you have a lot of of bird strikes during your flying you know i i have 1450 hours on the 104 and i had probably 
a dozen bird strikes. Wow. Uh, but yeah, I remember one that was uh, that was frightening me because um, I was flying a low level, and all of a sudden it, I heard a sound, boom, like, like this, and uh, I couldn't see anymore. And uh, after the first adrenaline shock, yeah. I noticed that probably my visor was uh, uh, covered with something. So I got the visor up and uh, the second visor was okay. So I could see again. And in the cockpit, there was blood and debris of some kind all over the place. <laughs> and uh, what finally, or what had happened was that the 104 has a, the cockpit uh, goes like this. You open the cockpit like this, the 104, yes. yeah. and uh, where there is the uh, the connection between the steady or fixed front glass and the uh, um, and the device you can you can close, there is a, a seal up here, mm -hmm. you know. And this bird must have uh, hit the seal and. By the pressure of the impact, uh, the seal was, uh, uh, you know, the, the stuff went through the seal, Luminate. which is which is um, blown up by turbine pressure, uh, engine pressure, engine air. But uh, this was probably not enough. All this stuff came into the uh, uh, the cockpit. And at first, I thought I uh, was hit. I was, um, you know, hurt. But after I checked checked out myself, I couldn't find any any uh, problem. So we declared emergency. Went. It was not far away from my from our home base. So uh, we went to our home base and landed there. And then uh, the emergency. Uh, response crew came and I had to sit in the cockpit, stay in the cockpit and things like that. They had to to um, um, uh, save the seat and they pulled me finally out of the cockpit and brought me to the to the um, uh, flight surgeon who was there already but then he had to check me over in his office. So that was, that was one experience I had and other than that Nothing extraordinary. Uh, <laughs> well, that's one experience I wouldn't <laughs> like to uh, endure, Frank. But uh, I don't know. Did you find out what bird you hit? Uh, actually, I don't know, and oh, okay. uh, I I haven't asked. <laughs> it must have been a big. It must thing. have been <laughs> a, a big one. Yeah, exactly. It must have been yeah. a big... So, Frank, overall, did you enjoy your time on the one hundred and four? Yes, definitely. Uh, we we flew a lot uh, on the 104 during my my squadron. When I was in the squadron, uh, was five years in the squadron, and uh, thereafter in the, in the staff flying group and uh, staff wing, we were supposed or required to fly 180 hours a year, and that was uh, that was nice, you know. Of course, you had other different tasks in the squadron, but uh, flying was the main task, and. Uh, uh, in the in the wing, when you were in the wing position a little bit later, uh, you were required to fly 90 hours, but uh, you had the big advantage to uh, select 
which one, which airplane you wanted to fly. Oh, okay. That <laughs> must have been very nice. <laughs> so uh, if the weather was nice or if you had something or you didn't want to stay in the wing, in the in the uh, staff, uh, you, or you didn't have to do anything, then you just called in the squadron and said, uh, I want to have uh, this airplane at that and that time. And then you went flying. That was a big advantage. <laughs> Absolutely. 